0: So many many moons ago before I was born there was this young teenage kid named Randall Johnson and there was this other teenage kid named Marianne Tidwell and they had just met each other at church and they were actually excited about this budding little romance that was starting and this young man William Randall Johnson invited Marianne Tidwell out on a date to a party stop me if you've heard this (laughs) and Mary Ann was getting ready excited for this party, excited for the date doing everything she could to look her best and be ready for the moment and then she waited for her young uh, suitor to arrive and she waited for her young suitor to arrive and she waited for her young suitor to arrive And then the next time they saw each other, this young teenage Randall said, Oh, Marianne, it was a great party. I wish you could have come. He had completely forgotten. He had completely forgotten that he had asked her out on this date to this party. And I'm very grateful for this. She still dated him after that. These are my parents. You know, when we talk about faith and action, we have to understand that when it comes to the most important things in life, oftentimes there are these grandiose ideas and concepts and almost philosophical realities, but they mean nothing until they're put into action. So, my dad really wanted to go out with my mom, but he didn't show up to pick her up and take her out on a date. And so it was meaningless. In fact, it was worse than meaningless. It was hurtful and sad and disappointing. And it reminds me of all the times that I or many of you or many of your children and our children have said, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, I'll do that. And then they don't do it. And it's worse in some ways than them saying no in the first place. And I know how many times I've done that. Sure, mom, I'll clean my room. Two years later, it's still not clean, <laughs> you know? The only reason it's clean now is that I don't live there, right? And, and so there's this reality that things that are said but not done can actually be hurtful. Can actually, they're actually detrimental to us. They're not help at all. And you know, when, when, we, when I came up uh, and was praying about this series about faith in action, I knew that there's no way you can do a series about faith in action without looking at the book of James, but I wanted to save it for the end, and we have this week and next week one more in the book of James, because James is all about faith in action. He's all about the idea that if you're not doing it, then it isn't real, and there's a little bit of a a tension in that statement, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because it's important to understand, Uh, but just... Be aware that there's, there's this tension in our life, that the things that we don't do, they're not real. They're not, they, they don't exist until they're fleshed out in the world. Uh, and, and that there are ideas and hopes and dreams. There are intentions, which we know, through the proverb, paves the way to hell, right? These good intentions that never turn into realities. And so we're going to look at this tension in faith today. Um, And and just, I'm hoping that we each walk away with a sense, uh, not that, not how bad we are at necessarily putting our faith into action, but to be encouraged even more to do so, and to realize that it actually is quite possible, and it's not as difficult or complex or complicated as we might believe. Now, the book of James, just to give you a little background here, I don't even know if you guys can read that, but it's just a little timeline to situate the book of James. James is the brother of Jesus, okay? Uh, I would say he's the half-brother of Jesus. Maybe that's appropriate. You know, Jesus uh, didn't have an earthly father, and James did. But they grew up together, and James is one of those siblings of Jesus that initially was thinking, uh, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are becoming this great teacher and miracle worker, In the world, I I knew you since you were this big, kind of relationship. But over time, not only did Jesus' mother come to believe in him, but his brother and other siblings came to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I will say this, if there's anyone who will doubt a Messiah figure first and last, it will probably be their family. So it's quite a testimony. I mean, imagine if you proclaimed tomorrow that you were a Messiah a savior of the world, how would your family respond? To convince your family is pretty big, right? It's pretty amazing. Uh, But James was one of the leaders in the church. We actually read about him a few weeks ago in the book of Acts, in this Jerusalem council. Uh, Peter uh, and James were there helping the church decide how to receive the Gentiles into the church. And you can just see, uh, you know, this Jerusalem council happens in A.D. 49, but this letter was actually written, probably before that, there's a range of dates that scholars look at, 45 to 60, I think it might have actually happened before that uh, Jerusalem council, and then James, like Peter, Paul, like most of the apostles, he is martyred, put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ, he died believing that his brother was the son of God in A.D. 62. Again, that's pretty incredible. And so James is writing to the church, and he's addressing a problem. And the problem is this. There are these people who say, I believe in Jesus, and yet their lives don't show it. You couldn't tell by the way they're living that they believe in Jesus. And we're going to take it a little bit out of order, but I first want to look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 24. And then we're going to jump back to James chapter 1. I encourage you when you get home today, read the whole book of James. It's short. It's a quick read. It's worth your time. James is fascinating, and there's a whole lot in there for us in our everyday life. But in James chapter 2, verses 14 and following, he says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, or has no works, or has no actions, Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you said to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, You know, that story I told at the beginning it's all well and good to say, hey, I like you. I'd like to go on a date with you. But if you don't show up, what good is it? It's all well and good to say, be warm and well-fed. But without gloves and a coat and food for the stomach, what good is it? It's all well and good to say, I believe in Jesus. But if the actions don't follow, what good is it? And James is making the case here. He's, he's kind of illuminating this reality that... Faith without deeds, faith without works, faith never put into action is no faith at all. It's dead. You know, it's difficult for us because we are sons and daughters of that great Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and so many other reformers hearken back to the scriptures where Paul says things like, it is by grace you have been saved through faith it is not of your own works, not of your own deeds, not of your own actions. And so there is this tension in the scripture. Paul even says things like um, the, that, that our faith, apart from any kind of works, save us before God. And we're going to see James say literally the exact opposite of that in this passage. And so there's this tension that exists in not only the Christian life, but in just life itself. Where, where we have to figure out, in a sense, how do we balance these kind of competing ideas, but also competing assertions and claims about what is real faith and what is not. And before we resolve that tension, I just want to keep reading a little bit and see what James has to say. But it's, it's that tension. Let it, let it rest there for a moment in your own mind. Someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you know that the demons believe in Jesus Christ? Do you know that the demons believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you know that the demons believe in the return of Jesus Christ? I'm not sure that there is really any doctrine of the church that the demons don't believe in. But the difference is they haven't given their lives to it. They believe it and they reject it. They believe it and they scorn it. You see, believing doesn't go very far. Believing doesn't go very far. You foolish person, James says in verse 20. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless now this is one of the most interesting passages for me on this subject because paul again uses the exact same example to teach what appears to be the exact opposite lesson okay so paul uses this same argument in the book of romans to teach that it's faith without works and james is going to show that it's faith with works so again this tension's pretty thick was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You guys know the story of Abraham. Abraham was uh, called by God to leave his home and enter into this promised land in the land of Canaan, uh, modern-day Israel or in the Middle East. And he was told, you're going to have a son. And it's going to be a miraculous son because your wife is barren and you're too old. But this son will be the one through whom my promise will extend to the entire world, a promise of blessing a promise of love a promise of of restoration for all things through your son and he named his son isaac and then abraham is out with isaac one day and god tells him you need to sacrifice your son meaning put your son to death and abraham uh, loads up uh, everything he needs to make a sacrifice and he's going to do it up on this mountain and Abraham and Isaac go up together. Isaac is old enough to carry all the wood and carry all the things that they're going to need. Abraham is probably too old to carry most of these things. Um, but he goes up there and he puts Abraham, He puts Isaac on the altar. And he's going to put him to death until the Lord speaks out to him and tells him not to do it. And he provides an alternate sacrifice. There's a lot of rich theological uh, um, uh, meaning there, but today we're just going to focus that Abraham was willing to put not only his son to death, but to what would appear to end the very promise that God had given him because he trusted the Lord. In verse 22, James says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You know, when Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation, read these verses, he actually was tempted to take the book of James out of the Bible. That's how much tension there is here. Because the whole entire thesis of the Reformation was that we are saved by faith alone and not by works, not by actions. And James says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so how, how, do, we, how do we understand this? Well, let's look at one of the examples that James gives in chapter 1. James 1.22 Says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. By the way, what if we just stopped right there? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. How different would your life be in mine if all we learned in our Christian faith was how to do that? What if that's all we learned? What if we didn't understand why any of this was true? What if we didn't understand how any of it was true? What if we didn't know the history behind it? What if we didn't have the deep, uh, you know, deeper explanations and teachings and, and all these great you know, Bible studies? What if all we learned was that when we hear the word, then we should do it? that whatever God's word tells us to do, we should put into practice. I think that would be a pretty dramatic uh, outcome, don't you? Because I know that in my life, this is probably one of the biggest challenges that I face. I read God's word, I know what it says, I know what it tells me to do, but I don't always do it, and so I deceive myself. He goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's like someone who asks a girl out on a date and then goes to the party without her and forgets that he even asked her to come. It's crazy business. By the way, my dad's memory has not gotten any better. Some of you know, like pray for my mom, she's having memory challenges. She's had the she's had MRI, she's had the tests, the studies. She's done Alzheimer's studies, experimental studies. They have no idea what's wrong with her. But I'm telling you, it is a 50-50 toss-up which one of them will remember what you tell them. My dad is so funny because he went with my mom to one of these tests, and he failed the same test that she failed. But he doesn't have any of these problems. He just, things go out of his mind. And that's what it's like when you read the Word of God and don't put it into practice. It's crazy business. It's not... It's not right. There, there's a disconnect in the brain and in the heart and in the will. And you read the word of God, and you don't put it into practice. He says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. And then he gives these two examples those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless that one that one hits me kind of hard i like to talk i like to talk even when no one's listening i'm sure there's some sunday mornings where that very thing happens exactly exactly Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, Christians these days are fond of saying, oh, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. Well, God says, actually, there's good religion and bad religion. And you want the good religion. You want good religion. That's a good thing. But all this religion that's about talk, all this religion that's about good intentions, All this religion that's about, oh, I've got the right beliefs, but I don't do anything with it. God doesn't like that religion. That's the religion that everyone hates, by the way. The world hates it. God hates it. You and I should hate it. It's the kind of religion that says, you know, I've got all the right answers, but I hurt people. Right? In fact, I would say that the biggest struggle facing the modern American Evangelical or Bible believing church today is that we think we've got all the right answers, but we don't have the right actions. This is the religion that God hates. The religion that God loves is the religion that takes that faith and puts it into action. Now, hear me on this because this is important. It's not that the beliefs don't matter. It's that they don't matter until they're put into practice. Now, there's all sorts of practices that people can do based on very different kind of beliefs, right? So you, you might be a kind person, but you have no relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't believe in the gospel. That's also a problem. James isn't saying that actions alone matter. He's saying that faith doesn't matter until it's put into practice, and, you know, I think that if we were to look at even some of these theological questions, like the, between Paul and Peter and the way they talk about salvation, the way they talk about whether it's faith alone or whether it's not faith alone, I think we'll find that they're really not that far apart. This famous passage of Paul, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, let's see. As I find it. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. Uh, Let's see, where do I want to start? Yeah, let's start in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So James says that you're saved not by faith alone, but also by works. And Paul says, you're saved by faith alone, not by works. But then Paul goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I think this tension can be lessened, maybe not eliminated, but lessened, when we understand that when we come to God in our need we come to god in our sin we come to god in our brokenness we come to god in our hurt we come to god in our pain god does not require anything of us to receive us in love to forgive our sins to pour out his grace in our lives to give us hope for a future to give us the joy that comes from knowing christ and being connected to him by the holy spirit these things are given freely And Paul is talking about how do you become a believer in Jesus Christ? How do you come to salvation? How do you become, for lack of a better word, a Christian? And James is saying, if you're a Christian, how will anyone know it? If you're a Christian, how will that be expressed? And what he's saying is not how do you get saved, he's saying if you are saved, you are a believer in jesus christ then there has to be some evidence there has to be some sense of of uh, recognition that a changed heart means a changed life and this is that aspect of our faith where we need to wrestle with it we need to to um, work it out with fear and trembling right it is not enough for you to simply say oh i believe in jesus It really isn't. Because then there has to be some type of uh, working out of that faith in your life. It's one thing to like the girl. It's another thing to go on the date. Right? I mean... That story has been the source of countless moments of laughter and maybe a few tears in our family. But it's such a great image to me for this idea of faith in action. Someone can tell you they love you, but if they don't show you they love you, will you believe it? No. No. Someone can say they care about you, but if they don't show you they care about you, will you believe it? No. And at some point, you have to acknowledge, oh, I guess I really don't care about that person because I'm not doing anything to show it. At some point, you have to face that truth. At some point, you have to say, wow, I guess I really don't believe. And here's how it plays out. God says to you, you know, take your pick of any of the exhortations, commands, or requirements in the scripture. In fact, I would invite you, think of one that you struggle with, that you struggle to obey, that you struggle to follow, that you struggle to believe. Maybe it's reigning your tongue. Maybe it's keeping yourself, what does he say, um, to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Maybe it's the things that you watch or hear or let you, that you take into your life. Uh, maybe it has to do with how you relate to people. Maybe it has to do with uh, not caring for those in need. Maybe it has to do with whatever it is that you struggle with. So I'll just use this example, keeping a rein on my tongue. If you don't do it, There's only a few reasons why that might be. But one of them might be something like, oh, well, God certainly isn't talking about me here. He's talking about others, right? He doesn't know my circumstance, He doesn't know my situation, right? This sin I have in my life, I can't let go of that because if God knew my situation, He would say, oh, you're fine. Right? I hear this a lot around relationships that are not honoring the Lord. Right? He doesn't know my situation. He would give me an out. Uh, I hear it around things like uh, substance abuse. No, I need this. I can't let this go. I hear it around uh, all different, different areas. Oh yeah, my gossip's not that bad. God's not talking about this. Or, you know, just you think of all the examples. At the end of the day, you believe by your actions that God's word is for you is not good. Right? That's what you're illustrating by that action. God's word for me in this is not good. There's a better word for me somewhere else, whether from the world, from my own heart, from some person, from some philosophy, from some something. And so I'm not going to follow that one. Right? Now, that's different from someone who says, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, increasingly become more faithful in these areas, and I'm struggling with it. That's different. But when you're saying no, it's because you don't really believe that God is true or his word is true or that he knows what he's talking about. Or that he has enough power to help you get what you need without that thing that you're clinging to. Or you don't believe that God will come through for you if you're faithful to him. Or you don't believe that this book really is God's word. You know, there's all these different things that we can do to avoid being faithful to the word of God. But they all come down to unbelief. If you really believed that everything God asked you to do was for your benefit, you would do all of them. Right? He says, uh, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you believe that, then you would do everything the Bible says. You really would, because we all are out for our best interest. For our own interest. So it all comes down to belief. And so Paul and James are not really in contrast with one another. But here's the thing this whole concept of faith in action is there because without action, it illustrates that our faith isn't really faith at all, that our faith is dead. And so we need to wrestle with that. We need to work that out with fear and trembling. You know, at the end of the day this is what God is inviting us to. He's not inviting us to to hold some belief system. God cares about what you believe but I think especially in the evangelical church we've made it so much about what we believe that we forget that that's not really what God is calling us to. These ideas and concepts and philosophies and and truth claims of christianity they're necessary precursors to something that's actually way more important and that's living a life with jesus where we actually follow him right that's what it means to be a disciple to be a follower of jesus not a believer in jesus again the demons believe in jesus but they don't follow That's bad company to be in. You don't want to be in that group, I believe but I don't follow. That's a bad group to be in. You want to be in the group that says, I believe and therefore I follow. And that you follow Jesus wherever it takes you. Wherever the scripture and wherever um, uh, the, the gospel takes you, that you go and you don't resist. Now here's the really hard part. What's required to do that? You kind of just have to come to the place where you're willing to die to your own will and live for the will of Christ. And that is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do in life. That's what tripped up Adam and Eve. That's what tripped up all the the people in the Bible who made wrong decisions. That's what's tripped you and me up. Um, You know, I think most of us would recognize that the worst things that happened in our life that were the result of our own decisions were where we went our own way. And that the best things that happened to us in regards to our own decisions are where we went the Lord's way. I think that's true. I mean, if your experience is different than that, I'd love to hear about it. I think most of us can acknowledge that pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, the best stuff is the God stuff, and the worst stuff is the me stuff. And yet it's still so hard to simply say, not my will, but yours be done. So when we talk about faith and action, and again, I hope that you read the book of James. We're going to look at James again next week. Uh, Just remember that faith without actions is no faith at all. And the difference between faith and belief is what you do with it. Right? You can believe all day long, but if you don't do it, you don't have faith. Faith is saying, this: I hold this belief so strongly that it impacts who I am, what I do, where I go, everything about my life. That's how deeply it's held. And that's how true it is for me. So church, I'd like to in a moment, pray for you. Uh, We're not going to do a closing song today because we have our meal downstairs. But I'm going to invite our table leaders to go and grab some food and get situated at a table so they're ready to lead us uh, in that. And then I also would just like for you, if you uh, would, take a moment and reflect on that card before we go down also. So if you didn't get a card, uh, Esther can get one to you. Anyone not get those cards? Everyone got one? Okay, great. Um, and again, hopefully you can join us downstairs for our meal. But what I'd like to do is just pray for us that we would be able to not just believe with our minds, but to live it out with our lives. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord God, our our hearts and our minds and uh, our desires sometimes they're at odds. Sometimes there's conflict within us. Lord, sometimes we do believe, and yet we don't have that step that turns it into faith. So, again, I pray today for us, for each one of us here. Lord, as we, as we go through this week, as we go through not just this week, but our lives, really, that we would be willing to take a hard look at our actions. Not to determine so much whether, whether we're saved or not, but to, to ask the question are we living the faith that we claim to have? Are we living out the beliefs that we profess? Is it changing my heart? Is it changing my thoughts? Is it changing my actions? And, Lord, that you would speak to us about that in those fragile and vulnerable moments, Lord, about our own faith or lack thereof. But, God, that you would show us and you would call us into something better or something different. That we would be, as James says, blessed in what we do because we're willing not only to hold the right beliefs but also to have the right actions the actions that honor you, the actions that are true religion, the actions that display the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ to those around us. And that we would not forget, we would not forget about this loving uh, and beautiful relationship that we have with you, but that it would be something that's lived out day in and day out in our lives.